Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth, chapter number one. The book of Ruth, chapter number one. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And it certainly was a joy to hear all these testimonies of what God has done, what God is doing in the faith of God's people, that He is going to do something. And I'm glad that we have something to say so about. God's never given us a reason not to shout. God's never given us a reason not to praise Him. God's never given us a reason not to trust Him. God's never given us a reason not to say so about something. I thank God. I thank God for Jesus. Amen. If you're glad to be in church on a Wednesday night, say amen. amen. The only thing that I can think of that's better than church on Sunday is more of it on Wednesday. In fact, if you drove through what I drove through today, you'd be happy to be anywhere. I'll just tell you right now. And I usually stay on the south side of Atlanta. And today I was reminded why I usually stay on the south side of Atlanta. And I was driving through and all that traffic and all them accidents and wrecks. Of course, I'm thankful for God's protection. Uh, but that's a real testimony tester is really what it is. And I spent a lot of time in prayer. I spent a lot of time saying, oh, God, please help us. I even I uh, thought about popping in a Harris Brothers CD and I did and I still lost my testimony. But anyway. It didn't help much at all, brother. The book, the book of Ruth, chapter number one. God bless you. But I was, I was with his brother last night, uh, Cody, and uh, I came up to him tonight, and I, yeah, I came up to him tonight, and I said, it's, "I'm glad to be with a better brother tonight." And you tell him I said that too. Anyway, Ruth, chapter number one. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. I'm thankful to be here tonight. I'm thankful to be saved. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity. And uh, met a couple times before, but really the most memorable, he came out to college out in Santa Clara, California, Golden State Baptist College, uh, where I attend there and spent a week with us and preached. And I'll tell you, that's the best week we had. And God really moved and God helped us. And decisions were made that week uh, that really, really lasted. And God helped us that week and it helped us get through the rest of the semester. I thank God uh, for your preacher. Ruth chapter number one, verse number one. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. By the way, I'm not preaching on this, but uh, that's always what happens. A backslider's intention is never to become a permanent castaway. But what happens when we test the waters, when we try to wade in a little bit and try to get a little taste, a little crumb of the world, a, a crumb of carnality, if you would, it always ends up that we continue there. Verse number three, in Elimelech, Naomi's husband died and she was left and her two sons. They took them, wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, Name the other was Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return uh, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Isn't that just like God? Even when his people forsake him and when his people leave him and when his people don't follow him, God is still gracious and God is still merciful to visit his people once again. 
And there Naomi is in a far country, but she hears good news from home, saying, God has visited his people and giving them bread. Verse number seven, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. I want you to hold your place here and turn to Matthew's gospel, chapter number one. And the first time we meet this lady by the name of Ruth, we find out a couple things. We find out that she's a resident of the, her citizenship is in Moab. We find out that Moab in the Bible is God's wash pot. Moab is not a highly esteemed place. Moab is not a spiritual place. Moab is a Gentile nation. And you know all that went on in, in the past that brought Moab to where it was in that day. And if we were to say something about Ruth, we would say something like this. Well, she's wicked. She's hell bound. She's on a bullet train to perdition. Nothing good can ever come out of Moab. Nothing good can ever come out of Ruth. Nothing good can ever come out of that story. I mean, nothing pleasant, nothing worth shouting about, nothing re worth rejoicing over, nothing great, nothing awesome, nothing, mirac nothing miraculous could ever come out of the life and the story of Ruth. But I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 5. The genealogy of Christ, I love this for several reasons. I love it because... It gives instances and it reveals unto us characters in which the story of Christmas changed their story. And in verse number five, we are introduced to an individual that might sound familiar to you. Verse number five, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of who? Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. I wonder if we could call Ruth up to the stand tonight. And I know we're Baptists and we don't believe in lady preachers, but if we could switch denominations for a minute, let Ruth preach for a few moments tonight. I believe we'd be all right. And if we were to call her up to the pulpit tonight and say, Ruth, what have you got to say? Ruth, what would you like to tell us? Ruth, we already saw how you are a Moabitess. Ruth, we already saw where you came from. Ruth, we already saw that you are a citizen of the land of Moab. Ruth, we saw you in Ruth chapter number one, but Ruth, here, here you are in Matthew chapter number one. We, here you are in the lineage of the Lord. Here you are, and, and it seems like your life got cleaned up, and it seems like something undeservingly happened to you. It seems like something awesome and something miraculous took place in your life. Ruth, what would you have to say? I believe here's what she's saying. Look where I was. But look where I am now. Look where God has brought me from. Look at where I should have been. Look at where I was. Look at where I could be. But look at me now. And I believe tonight that's a testimony of a lot of God's people. Look where I was. I was in sin. Look where I was. I was a drunkard. Look where I was. I was lost and on my way to hell. Look where I was. I was on a bullet train to perdition. Look where I was. I was hell bound. Look where I was. I was lost and undone without God or a son. Lost as a, lost as a ball in high weeds. I mean, look where I was, but look where I am now. I'm in church on a Wednesday night. I'm lifting my, I'm singing in the youth choir. I'm giving a testimony about the grace of God. I get to stand and I get to lift both hands and say so for a second. I get to testify about the goodness of God. I get to testify about the mercies of God. I get to testify about how good God has been in my life. Look where I was, but look where I am now. For a few moments tonight, I want to preach on that subject. Look where I was. 
But hallelujah, look where I am now. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray you touch us now, use us, fill us with your power. God, I confess in public as I have in private that I'm nothing without you. God, I desperately crave, I desperately desire your unction and your power. Your Holy Ghost touch tonight. We need you, Lord. May we all leave this place thankful for where you brought us from and where we are now. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love the book of Ruth. And I love, as I read the book of Ruth, I love to think about the setting and when it took place. The Bible says in verse number one of Ruth chapter number one, now, and it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So we find out that this book, the book of Ruth, is an appendix to the book of Judges. And we find out in the book of Judges that it was a day when there was no king in Israel and man did that which was right in his own eyes. We find out that in the book of Judges that God's people time and time again and generation after generation and, and leader after leader found themselves under the thumb of of a Gentile government and a Gentile people. They find themselves wandering from God and then God drawing them back and then they find themselves running from God again and then God bringing them back again and it is a wonderful display of God's long suffering but also punishment toward his people and chastisement as he does it out of love and he does it out of grace and tries and attempts to draw his people back to him. I love the setting of the book of Ruth but I love the story of the book of Ruth. It is a story of redemption brought about by God's agent, grace. It is a story of how a little girl who had nothing and a little girl and a little lady who was on her way to hell and whose life would never amount to anything but God's grace intervened and God redeemed her and she was redeemed by a man by the name of Boaz. It is a story of how God offers a new beginning to a miserable widow by the name of Naomi and a Moabitess woman by the name of Ruth. It is how God God can turn things around. It is a story about how God can take something broken and make it beautiful. It is a story about how God can take something that's been messed up by the world, that's been ruined by the world, and that's been torn apart by the devil, but he can put the pieces back together again. It is a story of rebellion. It is a story of ruin, but it is a story of romance. It is a story of rejoicing, and hallelujah, it is a story of redemption. Ruth's story begins with a family. And in Ruth chapter number one, we are introduced to this family and we see that this family is in a drought. We see that God's people there in the land of Judah are suffering from a drought. They are suffering from a dearth. They are suffering from a famine. Now can I say that this famine, it should have been expected. In the book of Deuteronomy, God told his people, he said, look, if you forsake me and you wander from me and you reject me and you go your own way, that's, this is what's going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up the heavens. I'm going to dry up the ground. Rain will not descend. Clouds will not gather and give forth this precipitation. This is what you shall expect. And, I, and the Bible says that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And because God's people rebelled and because because God's people wandered from the Lord and because God's people rejected him and went their own way and started worshiping false gods, God sent a famine. God sent a dearth. God sent a drought on the land. Can I say this tonight? I'm not really surprised about the shape that America's in today. Because for many generations, we've forsaken the church. We've forsaken God's house. 
We've forsaken God's statutes. We've forsaken God's law. God promised us that righteousness exalted the nation. But as long as we are willing to tolerate sin, and as long as we are willing to tolerate compromise, and as long as we are willing to tolerate carnality, sin is a reproach to any people. And as we are introduced to this family, as Ruth's story begins with a family that's in a drought and in a famine, we see that this family also is in disobedience. We see the failure of the family here. We find that a man by the name of Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malah and Chilion, they leave Bethlehem and they go to the land of Moab. Now, I won't go into all the names, but I will tell you this, that the name Elimelech means God is king. That's what his name means. Uh, apparently, you know, I wish they did, but in, in biblical customs, they wouldn't name their children like a random name. Now, when you read a genealogy, you wish it was. And Bill begot Bob. Bob got Bill. Bill begot Bob. And it, it would be a blessing. But they named their children something specific. They named their children something special and they named them for that way and they, named, they gave them the name that they gave them for a reason. And apparently Elimelech had two parents. Uh, apparently Elimelech had some guardians. Apparently Elimelech had some uh, parents who wanted to name their children, their child, by the name of Elimelech because they wanted him to grow up in his generation and let everybody around them know that God is king. And they were living, remember, they were living in the days of the judges where there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. But they wanted their son to live in that generation they wanted their son to dwell in that generation and be a reminder to everybody else hey man is not king flesh is not king the world is not king but God is king and God is on the throne and God is still in control but Elimelech didn't live up to his name because in this situation here we see that Elimelech took God off of his throne and Elimelech set himself on the throne and Elimelech did not do what God wanted him to do, but rather Elimelech did what he himself wanted to do. Now give him a break. He does want to protect his family. He does have his family's best interest in mind. But I believe you'd agree with me tonight that the best thing for Elimelech to do was to stay in Bethlehem. Was to stay at God's place, among God's people, and enjoy God's provisions. That's not what happened. And Elimelech took his family, Naomi, Malon, and Chilion, they go to Moab. And then we see a disaster. We see a family that's in despair because of a funeral. Yes. We find that Elimelech dies. We find that Malon dies. Chilion dies. Now all that's left is Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Just as the story of Ruth begins with a family, the story of Ruth ends with a family. A family that Ruth really should not have been a part of. A family that Ruth really didn't fit in with. A family that Ruth herself and even us today are surprised that her name is recorded in that genealogy and in that lineage. 
And the true story begins with a family that was broken and it begins with a family that was miserable and it begins with a family who was marked because they disobeyed God. Her story ends with her name written among a family of saints and her name written among a family of heroes and her name written among the family of a bunch of holy people. You look at Matthew chapter number one and there's folks like Abraham, there's folks like David, there's folks like Solomon, there's folks like Isaac, and there's folks like Jacob. How in the world did somebody like Ruth end up in a family like that? When you look at her beginning and you look at where she started from and you look at how her life started, we would never expect it if we were to pick somebody uh, from the Old Testament uh, out of all the princesses and and out of all the queens and out of all the ladies in the Old Testament to fit in Matthew chapter number one, we wouldn't pick Ruth. If we were to pick the cream of the crop and if we were to pick the best of the best and we were to pick the most perfect person, the perfect lady, I mean the virtuous woman found in the Old Testament to put in Matthew's gospel chapter number one in the lineage of the Lord, we wouldn't pick Ruth. But God's grace did. God's grace made a way when there was no way. God puts her in that family. And it doesn't quite make sense to us. But when you throw in something as important as grace, and you throw in someone as, po- as important as the Lord, settles all doubts, disqualifies all controversies, answers all questions. If we were to take the testimony of, Lu- uh, of Ruth, Ruth is introduced to us in a dark, depraved condition. But as she gives her farewell address to Scripture, we find her named among kings, among princes, among heroes of the faith. And why is that? God's grace made a way. I want to point out three things to you really quickly. As we look at Ruth, and as she would say, look where I was, but look where I am now. I want to see, number one, her gloom. Her gloom. We find her, uh, when we first find her, she's in the land of Moab. She's living among the heathen. She's living among the wicked. She's living in a world that rejects God, and she has complete uh, no knowledge at all about God. She's raised in a family, and she's raised in a home, and she's raised in a city, and she's raised among a people who scoff at God and laugh at God and have no place in their mind whatsoever for the things of God. She's in the land of Moab, and Moab offered nothing but gloom and doom and despair. And as she grew up in that lifestyle, and as she grew up in that world, and as she grew up in that dark, uh, depraved uh, condition, her life was nothing but gloom, and her life was nothing but sadness because may I remind you tonight that's where we were lost and undone without God or son we had nothing to smile about we had nothing to sing about we had nothing to rejoice about and as we first see Ruth as we look at where she was and where she is now we find that the beginning of her life is characterized by the one word gloom she was in the world and in the world she lost it all she was worthless nobody wanted her Nobody wanted anything to do with her. Nobody would even cross the same path as her. We find that she was wanting. She was craving something. She was searching for something. And thank God in her life, she found what she was looking for. She found what she was searching for. She found her heart's desire. We see her plight. That the life that she lived was a broken life with a bruised past. 
we find her pain. We find that as, her, as that family of Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Chilion moved to Moab, we find that she marries one of those sons. Now she loses her husband. The person who showed her affection, the person who showed her love, the person who loved her when seemingly nobody else would. Now she's lost it. She's lost him. She's lost what she's wanted. She lost what she had. The world never gives. The world always takes away. And the world may give temporary satisfaction, and the Bible even does say that there's pleasure in sin for a season, but in the end it takes away. Moab never adds to your life, but Moab takes from your life. And we see her poverty. She had no supply. She was running dry. Now she's left destitute. Her, her sister, and her mother-in-law. They have nothing. They have no means of supply. They have nobody there to provide for her, and that leads her in a very miserable condition. That leaves her with nothing but gloom. That leaves her with nothing but doom, and that leaves her with nothing but despair. But then Ruth makes a choice. Ruth makes a decision. We find that later on in the chapter, chapter number one of the book of Ruth commences, and as, it, as the scene unfolds, that Naomi is going to go back home. Because she's heard the good news that God had visited his people. And she's going to go back home and she, uh, she takes her two daughters-in-laws to the, uh, to the edge of the city, to the city limits. And she says, all right, you stay here. You go back home. You go back to your own lifestyle. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why she ever said this. But she said, all right, go back home and go back to your old life and go back to your gods and, and, and go back go back to Moab. I don't want you, maybe it was because every time she looked at those two daughters, every time she looked at those two girls, she thought of the two sons that she lost. I don't know why, but something clicked in the life of Naomi. For some reason, she didn't want Ruth and Orpah to come home with her. And Orpah, you know the story. She kissed her mother-in-law and she left and, we, and she goes back home and her name is etched out of God's record book. We never hear about Orpah again. We never hear about what happened to her. We never read about what took place in her life. She goes down in history as the person who kissed God's blessing and kissed God's goodness and left and went back to her old life. But not Ruth. Ruth said, look, I'm not going back. I've had all of Moab I can stand. I've had all of Moab I can take. I've had all the world that I can handle. I need something else. And I don't know, maybe, maybe Ruth heard that messenger too. Maybe Ruth heard God had visited his people. Maybe Ruth heard that message. I'm not, maybe she was in earshot. I'm not sure. But something clicked in Ruth that made her want to leave the world behind her and go home with Naomi. Look at her decision that she made in verse number 16. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from falling after thee. Basically, here's what she said. Naomi, hush. I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind. You, you can't talk me out of it. You, you, you can't convince me. Otherwise, I've made up my mind as I said it a moment ago. And I'll say it again. She's, had a, she's seen what Moab can offer. She's seen what Moab can do. She's seen what Moab has to offer her. And all she knows is that it takes away. All she knows is that there's nothing but gloom. All she knows is that there's nothing, there's nothing but depravity. All she knows is that there's nothing in Moab. Something must be better about Bethlehem. If they got bread, I want bread. If they got God, I want God. If they've got this. 
visitation. I want visitation. She says, entreat me not. I'm not going to leave you. I made my decision. Here's what she says. For where thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And here, she kicked the bucket right here. I mean, she scored 110 A+. Plus. I mean, she got bonus points right here. When she said, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, I will die. And there will I be buried. In the words of Fanny Crosby, I'll follow where thou leadest. My love will cling to thee. And where thou he- thy head is pillowed, my nightly rest shall be. Thy birthplace and thy kindred I'll cherish as my own. Thy God shall be my refuge. I'll worship at his throne. I don't know if Ruth had any idea what that decision was going to lead to. I don't know if Ruth had any comprehension. I don't know if she had any way of understanding that one choice, how much it would change her life. And I don't think that moment that you got saved, that moment that you knelt down wherever you were, and you said, God, I take you, I choose Jesus, I don't think any of us knew where that would lead us. I was a seven-year-old boy when I got saved in my bedroom with my mother and my father by my side. I had no idea that one day I'd be standing behind the pulpit. I had no idea that one day God was going to send me to California. I don't think I wanted to know that. Probably be scared to death. I had no idea what God was going to do. And I believe you were in the same boat. And here as Ruth makes this choice, she has no idea where this decision is going to lead her. She has no idea what's going to happen in chapter number two. But yet she makes that decision. She's going to get a new land. She's going to get new leadership. She's going to get a new lifestyle. She's going to get a new lineage. She's going to get a new Lord. She's going to get a new new limit. She's going to get new labor. And she's going to get a new life. And everything's going to change when Ruth goes back to Bethlehem. So number one, we see the gloom. Number two, very quickly, we see the grace. See the grace. Grace, the grace of God led her to a person. And that person is introduced to us in chapter number two. Look at verse number one. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's eight mighty men of valor, a mighty man of wealth. The family of Elimelech and his name was Boaz. Now let me point this out to you. In the book of Ruth, chapter number one, there are seven names mentioned. Six names mentioned. The first one, count them with me, is number one, Elimelech. Number one is who? Elimelech. The second one is Naomi. Number two is who? Number one is who? Elimelech, Naomi. Then you have Malon and Chilion. That's three. That's four. Now, I've been on Christmas break, and my math is probably not that good anyway. That's three and that's four. Then you have Ruth and Orpah. That's five and that's six, right? You guys look very smart. That's, that's, that's six, right? That's six, right? Then in chapter number two, we're introduced to a seventh man. Chapter number two, who is it? Verse number one, his name was Boaz. You know, the seventh man makes all the difference. The seventh man makes all the difference. The seventh person, the seventh man introduced in the life and the story of Ruth was Boaz. And Boaz was going to change everything. Think about John chapter number 4. In John chapter number 4, Jesus is by a well side. And as he's by that well side, he, he meets a Samaritan woman. And as he's there, she comes by that well side and Jesus is resting. Jesus, uh, Jesus tells her everything about her. He knows everything about her. 
And he says to this woman, the Samaritan woman, John chapter number four, says, lady, go get your husband. The lady says, Jesus, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five. That's five. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. That's six. So evidently, there have been six men. There's been six individuals in this lady's life that tried to help her, that tried to fill a need, that tried to satisfy but they never met her need. And they never satisfied, and they never did to her what they promised they would. But on that day by Wellside, she met that seventh man. His name was Jesus. And when Jesus stepped into her life, everything was changed. I wonder if there's anybody in this sanctuary tonight, you're thankful for that seventh man. You're thankful for the day that Jesus was introduced into your life. You're thankful for the day you met that seventh man and you tried the world and it never satisfied and you tried the flesh and it never satisfied and you tried the devil and it never satisfied. But that day, in that moment, that some preacher or some soul winner or some soul winner or some Sunday school teacher introduced Jesus into your life, business started to pick up, things started to get better, you left the things of the world behind and you wholly decided to follow Jesus. Boaz is introduced into her life. Look at verse number 10. Boaz and Ruth have had a dialogue going on here in chapter number 2. And in verse number 10, here's what she says. Uh, then she fell, Ruth, fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? There's something that Ruth doesn't understand. There's something that Ruth can't comprehend. Boaz, I'm a stranger. Boaz, I don't know you. I've never laid eyes on you. I've never met you. I'm just a stranger. I'm from the land of Moab. Why in the world would you acknowledge me? Why in the world would you even look at me? Other folks in this city would just pass me by. Other folks in this city would just overlook me. And other folks in this city wouldn't even give me the time of day. Other folks would just pass by on the other side of the road. Boaz, I just don't understand. Boaz, I just don't get it. Boaz, I just can't quite comprehend it. I want to say, Ruth, you answered the all. You gave the answer in your own question. I want to say, look at verse number 10. Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Well, there's your answer. Grace. The only reason why Boaz would take knowledge of her, the only reason why Boaz would even think about her, the only reason that Boaz would even want to give her the time of day, the only reason why Boaz would want to give her the field, the only reason why Boaz would want to give her some wealth, the only reason why Boaz would even look on her seeing that she is a stranger is by grace. Grace has been my story. It'll be my thing from earth to glory. John Newton got it right when he said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I can't give you a theological answer. I can't give you a dissertation. I can't give you an essay. I can't give you a book on why Jesus would think about me and why Jesus would take knowledge of me and why Jesus would give me the time of day. All I can tell you is one word, grace. Grace. I call the grace of God in the book of Ruth hidden grace. God's grace is working, but you can't see it. God's grace is working behind the scenes. God's grace is working behind the curtain. I believe you'd agree with me that if you read chapter number one, you couldn't see grace. I mean, there's a funeral. How can you see God's grace in a death? There's a famine. 
How can you see God's grace in a famine? There are caskets. How do you see God's grace in a casket? There's rejection and there's loss and there's hopelessness. How can you see God's grace in all of that? Oh, it's working. Trust me, it's working. You see, here's what you got to understand. It's the book of Ruth, not the book of Naomi. And every event that happens in chapter number one is bringing about something, maybe not for Naomi's good, but for Ruth's good. It's bringing about something. God's grace is sovereignly working in the darkness. God's grace is working even though the clouds are rolling. God's grace is working even though the sun is not shining. And even though we are first introduced to Naomi and the heartache and the pain and the struggle that she's facing, it is God's grace that is bringing all that together. It is God's grace that is orchestrating everything. It is God's grace that's putting the puzzle pieces together because there's a little old girl named Ruth in the land of Moab. In the land of Moab. God wants to show her favor. God wants to show her grace. God wants to show her love in some way he's got to get he's got to get that family to Moab and he's got to get what's what's in Moab with that family and he's got to get what's in Moab with that family back to Bethlehem so God can show her grace as she needs God's grace in a person God's grace in a provision the Bible says that Ruth goes into that field and she starts off in the corners because that's what's been reserved for her but then Boaz says, look, you, you can go with the reapers. You can go behind them. And I've told them, he, he didn't tell her this, but they're going to drop you some handfuls. And he went behind her back and he said, now, Mr. Reaper, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go and you're going to get these bundles, but I, want you to take not one, I don't want you to take one stalk. I don't want you to accidentally drop something. I mean a handful. I mean a handful. How many of you kids, you remember when those nice ladies in church would have that bag of candy? They say, get you a handful. Now that handful was determined on your part, not hers. Boy, you, a handful could be this. A handful could be this. And in this instant, a handful, I mean, it was a handful. It was a big bushel. And here's Ruth. All she's had in her life was taken away. All she had in Moab was taken away. All she had in the world was taken away. All she had when she first came to Bethlehem was a couple stalks. I mean, just some of the leftovers. But here she goes, she gets a bundle. And she gets a handful. And she gets another handful. And she goes on in that field and she gets more handfuls and more. Handfuls on purpose. And she gets another handful after another handful after another handful. And she comes home to Naomi. And she's, and she's tired from carrying that weight. And she drops it down on the front porch. And Naomi says, Ruth, where'd you get all that barley? Ruth, where'd you get all that bread? Ruth, how'd you get all that stuff? I don't know. I don't know, Naomi. I don't know, mother. But ever since I met Boaz, ever since I met that man down there at the field, ever since I met Boaz, I've had more than I, than I ever had before. I had more now than what I had in Moab. I had more now than what I had in the world. I had more now than what I've ever had before. And hallelujah, that's what God's grace will do. God's grace will get you a provision. She got a relationship. She got some resources. And eventually we're going to find out, hallelujah, she got a ring. She got a relationship with a man named Boaz. Gloom, grace, and then a genealogy. And in Matthew chapter 1, we find that Ruth is named in the lineage of the Lord. 
And we find that Ruth is named among the greats of the Word of God. In Moab, she found gloom because of her fate. Because she was a Moabitess, she was destined for hell. She was an alien to the commonwealth of Israel, outcast of the covenant of promise. There was nothing that she could do. There's no amount of money that she could pay. There's no amount of deeds that she could get done that could get her inside that promise. But in Bethlehem, she found grace. And in that grace, she found a fortune. She found something she never found before. She found some handfuls. She found a husband. Now she's in the genealogy, and she has a future. She has a family. She has a heritage. A family that she never would have guessed. Wow. I never would have guessed I'd been with them. To be named with that number, to be a part of that family, I mean to be a part of that bloodline, in the end, she was elevated and she was exalted. But how did all that happen? By grace. Grace is the only reason I could give you why something like that happened. That's why Ruth could stand here today. If she was able to, she would stand here today and say, look where I was. Look where I am. Think about Paul. Paul could say that. Look where I was. I was slaughtering Christians. I was taking men and women and boys and girls and and killing them just because they went to church. But look at me now. I'm helping the same crowd I used to hurt. Think about Bartimaeus. Look where I was. I was blind. I was a beggar. I had nothing. I was just sitting by the wayside begging, crying out, hoping that somebody would have a little mercy and hoping that somebody would have a little grace. But look at me now. I can see. Look at me now. I'm following the Lord. Look at me now. My life has been changed. Peter could say that. Look where I was. I used to be a cussing sailor. Look where I was. I used to hang out with the wrong crowd out on the sea. Look where I was. I denied the Lord. But look at me now. I'm preaching on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people are getting saved. Look at me now. I'm strengthening the brethren. Moses could say that. Look where I was. I was in Pharaoh's palace. Look where I I was. I was in the backside of the desert. But look at me now. I'm leading God's people to the land of promise. Rahab can say that. Look where I was. I used to be a harlot. Look where I was. I used to be living on the walls of a sin-cursed city. But look at me now. I get to travel with the people of God. Uh, the leper could say that. Look where I was. I was an outcast. Look where I was. I was forsaken. Look where I was. I was forgotten. Look where I was. I was on the outskirts of the city. But look where I am now. Because Jesus came by my way. Because Jesus had mercy. Hey, think about the maniac of Gadara. Look where I was. I was in the tombs. Now I'm at the table. Look where I was. I was an outcast, but now I'm one of his. Look where I was. Nobody would even want to get near me, but Jesus came to where I was and he had mercy on me. And Hey, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is this. Look where I was. Look where you and I used to be. Sinners lost without God and his son on our way to hell. No hope. No light. No hope in sight. But Jesus entered into our life and Jesus came into our life and hallelujah what a savior every sinner has a story where they were and where they are now that's why Psalm 107 verse 2 says let the redeemed of the Lord say so because we're the only ones that got something to say so about Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 verse 17 a man to be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeem me for his own. 
I can't understand it. I can't comprehend it. The only answer I can give you is this. Grace. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. I like this verse. Dark is the stain. We can't hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look! There is flowing a crimson tide brighter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And that's the theme of your story. That's the theme of my story. We can look at others. We can look at this world. We can turn to the person sitting beside of us and say, look where I was. Look where I used to be. But look at me now. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. My name's been recorded. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Hallelujah. My name is there. Thank God my name, my name once stood with sinners lost and bore a painful record. But by his blood, the Savior crossed and placed it on his roll. I know, I know my name is there. The bridge, he bridged the gap. He crossed the chasm. The chasm. He made a way when there was no way. He opened the door to eternal life by his grace. So I come to you tonight and I say this, look where I was, but hallelujah, look where I am now.